2: Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the September 29th edition of I Am are you? The nation's longest-running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio news magazine.
1: Out front and out loud since 1974, I'm Chris-Ann Eastwood.
2: I'm Wenzel Jones. And
3: I'm Steve Pride. Tonight is the conclusion of my talk with Stephen Petro about his complete book of gay and lesbian manners.
1: And tonight we're going to do something new and circle the jerks around current topics that are hashtag queering...
3: And I'll take you to the multiplex for the documentary
2: Born to Fly. And we'll talk live in studio with Eddie Shapiro, producer of this weekend's 17th annual Gay Days at Disneyland.
1: Ooh, but first, the national and international news from this
4: way out.
2: I'm Wenzel Jones.
4: And I'm Sarah Sweeney.
2: With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBT communities around the world for the week ending September 27, 2014. The United Nations Human Rights Council approved a resolution on September 26th that condemns bias based on sexual orientation and gender identity. After surviving seven hostile amendments from Egypt, the landmark declaration was approved by a vote of 21 to 16, with seven abstentions and one absence. It asks the High Commissioner for Human Rights to update a 2012 study on LGBT-based violence and discrimination, and also expresses serious concerns about... Acts of violence and discrimination in all regions of the world committed against LGBT people. Chile, one of the resolution's co sponsors, argued that it does not seek to create new rights. There are some whose rights are more violated and need more protection. Chile was joined by Brazil, Colombia, Uruguay, and 42 other co sponsors that included the UK and the US. Noteworthy nations also voting for the resolution included Cuba, the Czech Republic, Romania, and the Republic of Korea. Led by Egypt, the opposition included Algeria, Ethiopia, Indonesia, Kenya, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, and the Russian Federation. China and India were among the seven abstentions. In a media statement celebrating the vote, Jessica Stern of the International Gay and Lesbian Human Rights Commission said that the UN Council had taken a fundamental step forward by reaffirming one of the United Nations' key principles, that everyone is equal in dignity and rights.
4: Clearly wanting to avoid the controversy that accompanied the Winter Olympics in Sochi earlier this year because of Russia's anti-gay laws, the International Olympic Committee has adopted a clause to its contract with all future host cities that affirms LGBT rights. The new contract requires those cities to follow the Olympic Charter's Principle 6, which states that... Any form of discrimination with regard to a country or a person on grounds of race, religion, politics, gender, or otherwise, is incompatible with belonging to the Olympic movement. While sports bodies in some parts of the world are actively fighting homophobia, increasing pressure to follow suit is building on FIFA, the international governing body of the World Cup. The host countries for the next two global competitions are Russia in 2018 and Qatar in 2022. Russia's anti-LGBT policies are well known. But Qatar harshly punishes private, consensual, adult same-gender sexual relationships as violations of Islamic law, or Sharia, the constitutionally mandated source of Qatari legislation.
2: Russia's constitutional court has upheld that nation's infamous so-called no-promo-homo law. The decision, published on September 25th, found that the legislation was not intended to ban homosexuality as is, and cannot be viewed as curbing the rights of citizens based on their sexual orientation. It also does not imply a ban on any information concerning unorthodox sexual relations. But the measure specifically outlaws propaganda of non traditional sexual relations among minors, and since minors are likely to be present in most public settings or online, the law virtually bans any expression of support for the rights of LGBT people, including local pride events. Fines for providing information about homosexuality to people under the age of 18 range from 4,000 rubles for individuals to a million rubles for organizations or businesses. A trio of Russian activists, led by attorney Nikolai Alexeyev, had challenged the law. Alexeyev said he would add this case to other appeals involving Russian violations of LGBT rights that he's filed with the European Court of Human Rights.
4: South Africa's first welcoming mosque, where men and women of diverse races and sexual orientations worshipped together, was closed this week just a few days after it opened. The open mosque in Cape Town was cited for not having enough parking spaces. Founder Dr. Taj Harge, an imam and a professor of Islamic studies and African history at Oxford University, told the BBC that no one has the right to tell anyone what to believe in. This is a gender-equal mosque, autonomous and independent, he said, and it will remain so. A municipal bylaw requires a religious facility to have one parking space for every 10 worshippers. City Councilor Ghanif Hendricks said Harge had not applied to convert the warehouse location to a mosque, a process that could take up to six months, and that there are issues of health and safety to consider a coalition of 14 conservative Muslim groups across the country, have condemned the open mosque as a cult and un-Islamic. Harge said that, The city council is trying to close the mosque using ridiculous bylaws, and I will not be threatened by them or anyone else. But for now, the open mosque remains closed.
2: Grindr, an app through which gay men hook up or look for romance, has sent a message to all its Egyptian users warning that police officers may be posing as LGBT on social media to entrap you. The explicit warning follows reports in the past several days that authorities are using sophisticated new technology to monitor Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and other platforms to lure gay men to romantic meetings that turn out to be arrests. Six men were sentenced this week to two years in prison at hard labor for advertising their apartment on Facebook as a place, for a price, where men could have sex with each other. Seven men were arrested earlier this month after being seen in a YouTube-posted video at what authorities called a gay wedding ceremony. All the men were charged with debauchery or indecency because there are no specific laws against same-gender sex in the predominantly Muslim country. The Grinder message further cautions its Egyptian users to please be careful about arranging meetings with people you don't know, and be careful about posting anything that might reveal your identity.
4: In other news, France's highest court has ruled that married lesbians can adopt their partner's offspring born through in vitro fertilization or other medically assisted reproduction. France allows assisted reproduction only for heterosexual couples. Since last year's enactment of marriage equality, that restriction has sent many married French lesbian couples abroad, many of them to neighboring Belgium or Spain, to get fertility treatment. But until now, French law recognized only the birth mother as the legal parent. The Court of Cassation ruled this week that married lesbian couples can adopt each other's children born through assisted reproduction performed outside of France. Even though the decision is advisory, with no enforcement provisions, the high court's edicts are usually treated as precedent by lower courts.
2: A judge in Louisiana has declared the state's ban on civil marriage for same-gender couples to be unconstitutional. Lafayette Judge Edward Rubin issued the ruling on September 22nd in a case involving a lesbian who wanted to adopt her wife's young son. The couple legally married in California. Rubin's ruling conflicts with a federal court ruling by Judge Martin Feldman in New Orleans in early September that broke a lengthy string of court victories for equality by upholding Louisiana's marriage ban. State Attorney General Buddy Caldwell immediately sought and received a stay of the Rubin ruling this week pending an appeal.
4: U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder, who's been a strong champion of LGBT rights throughout his almost six-year tenure, announced on September 25th that he's stepping down. He told NBC News the following day that in what could be one of his last major actions, his Department of Justice will file papers urging the U.S. Supreme Court to declare marriage equality nationwide.
5: The brief will be consistent with the positions that we have taken in the past in support of same-sex marriage. I can't imagine that we would take any other position while this president uh, is in office, and certainly as long as I am attorney general or anybody who is my successor.
4: The High Court is considering, as this program is being distributed, whether to hear appeals of marriage equality rulings in a handful of U.S. states. The justices are not required to hear any appeal.
2: The U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, or EEOC, filed its first two transgender-related workplace bias cases this week. The Obama administration determined earlier this year that Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 An anti-sexism law that bans gender discrimination also protects transgender people. The cases involve a Florida eye clinic and a Michigan funeral home. Each business fired a transgender employee because she was transitioning from male to female. The EEOC says that trans women were let go for not conforming to their employers' gender-based expectations, preferences, or stereotypes. The U.S. human rights campaign called the lawsuits historic and said the commission deserves immense praise for tackling the issue head-on.
4: And finally, Brazilian schoolboys have stood up for a transgender classmate after she was fined for wearing an incorrect uniform. Seventeen-year-old Maria Muniz, who recently came out as trans, had worn a skirt to school instead of the regulation boys' trousers. But then some of the girls' classmates decided to protest the policy by all wearing skirts to school. A photo of the supportively skirted group of male students has gone viral. The school got the message saying in a statement that the current student code of ethics will be overhauled with the participation of the whole community, including the active participation of students who may suggest changes they deem necessary. Muniz says she was moved by the support. I am really happy about the way my classmates supported me, and I hope it serves as an example to others to feel encouraged to do the right thing, she said. Adding that, I was always taught at school to accept who you are. I am only trying to live that.
2: That's News Wrap for the week ending September 27, 2014. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community.
4: News Rap was produced by Steve Pride, written by Greg Gordon, and recorded at the studios of KPFK Los Angeles.
2: News Rap from This Way Out is brought to you by
4: you. Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Sarah Sweeney. And I'm
3: Wenzel Jones. You can hear all 30 minutes of the latest This Way Out, including more news wrap on free podcasts at Stitcher, Radio On Demand, iTunes, or even on thiswayout.org.
2: Straight answers to queer marriage questions, Neil Patrick Harris chokes up at his own wedding, Mm. and commentator Abby Dees salutes Big Sir. I like that Abby Dees. I love that Abby Dees, who last I saw on Facebook, she was at a poodle parade in Carmel.
1: Well, that's newsy. No. Now, no. No. speaking right, speaking of a poodle parade, speaking in Carmel. of in Carmel. Well, anything in Carmel is fabulous. But um, speaking of news, uh, we're going to try something new here and talk about the what's what's trending queer this week around the Southland and, of course, uh, sundry uh, places among us. And we just heard the story in the news about the Supreme Court. They meet today, mm-hmm. and here's what they do: they sit there and they meet in private, all nine of them. And decide what they're going to hear this year in the cases they're going to hear. I mean, there's a bunch. Everybody's, yeah. I'm going to take it to the Supreme Court. They're, I'll take these courts to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And so the big ones for us, of course, is the gay marriage. There are seven cases.
2: Only seven? Only It se- seems like there's a new one every other day. Well,
1: because, well it, it only seems that
3: way.
2: seven dwarfs as well. Is that a sign?
3: <laughs> See, it
1: could be a sign. I think that could be a sign because we are talking, talking Disney, Disney tonight. I know. While. And you're just all Disney. But here are the states. It's it's Virginia, which we know has been a hotbed of mm-hmm. of conservatism.
2: Utah which That was just the cherry on top when they went.
1: I know. And they're really, you know, I just read a poll today in the Salt Lake City Tribune that it's working its way towards our favor. So even Utahns themselves are there. Oklahoma, Mm
2: -hmm. which,
1: of course, I'm sorry, if your state is a musical, you have to have gay marriage. You do. It's even
2: on the license plate. Oklahoma's okay.
1: Thank you. I know. Thank you very much. Moving on. Uh, Wisconsin, which, you know. Cheese. Beer. Beer? Brats. Packers. Not not,
2: not sounding so gay.
1: Indiana, (laughs) which, you know, another musical musical music man which was in Iowa but that it's was the, Iowa. <laughs> but they sang the song Gary India. That's Gary, true they did. So automatically
2: gay. Good point. Absolutely.
1: And they have, you know, I mean their football team is the Colts. Prancy little horses yep. Colts. I mean that My just seems cult. gay. So that's going to be the big thing. They decide they will let us know on October 6th, which is a week from today. Mm-hmm. So when we're back on the air, we will say yay, they're going to hear these cases. But the but the but the crux is, you know, all the all the cases have come through the various courts and just saying, you know, that the constitutional bans yeah. on same-sex marriage are unconstitutional.
2: But now it seems every time we mention any of the Supreme Court stories in the news that we just heard, yes. they always get tagged with, but they're not under any, any obligation to hear any of these cases. They can't.
1: They actually can hear none of them. They can they can decide we don't want to hear them anymore. They can say they want to remand them back to the state yeah. courts. They want to remand them back to, to different courts. I mean, they can say no. I mean, they've already had two the two big cases this year already, which we won. Yay. Right. Um, but yes, they can not. They can just say enough already. But it depends what the what the specific item they're arguing in the case, what the case law, what what the premise is that they may want to hear this because that was one of the arguments for the 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 um the the the, the I want to say Section Eight, but the Proposition Eight oh, probably, case yes. that they said that the people arguing it really didn't have standing, which mm-hmm. meant that. You're not showing us any harm to you, so why are you even bringing this case? So we'll see what happens, but, you know, looking good, they're thinking about it. And
2: if they listen to any of them, would Mm -hmm. it then result in marriage going nationwide if they vote for?
1: Well, it depends on how it is, how it turns out, how they make the judgment. If they say that this is, you know— Prima facie yeah. that this is unconstitutional to the united states constitution there's no state no state yeah. out there can defy the constitution it 's the yeah. law of the land
2: because the state by state thing is driving me crazy because no it's like spain didn't like go region drinking. by region england didn't go region it's like everybody just did it all yeah. at once, and this state by state thing is just so protracted and that's the
1: thing you know, and that 's the whole thing they just have to follow the law of the land on this and speaking of the law of the land, California is a first on a new law of California, which hopefully will go to the law of the land. Uh, Governor Jerry Brown signed today that it is now you can no longer use the gay panic or trans panic defense in criminal cases.
2: Yay, California. But frankly, I I didn't realize that that wasn't the law yet anywhere else. Thank God I'm here <laughs> for you, Wenzel. I know. I sort of thought that became the law a while ago because it, it should be.
1: It should be, but it, it actually, I, guess it's not. I mean, there are still, you know, there's some archaic laws in the books, but uh, there are people who, who have used that as a defense for committing heinous violence on uh, trans folks, right. and on perceived de- trans, right. perceived gay folks. Yeah. And the whole
2: panic defense is just that I thought they were gay and they were coming after me sure. and I'm not gay. And sure. that's all it took.
3: And to if you get... have
1: a jury of people who maybe have some homophobia among them, they'll mm-hmm. say, well, sure, if you come after me, I'm going to punch you. So he was right to do that. Mm-hmm. A, a significant case was uh, here in the Southland in 2011, the Brandon McInerney, uh, the, the eighth grader who killed his classmate Larry King, his oh, primary right. defense was that Larry King was flirting with him, had come on to him a little. I mean, it's what an eighth grader could do. And, yeah, they were kids. And they were kids. And as and as a high, high school, former middle school teacher, kids like are all over each other all the time. But that was his primary primary defense, and there was a mistrial. And he, he was able to plea it down to a manslaughter. So he's going to be out of prison in 21 years. And and we can go into that later because he's a kid and, yeah. and all sorts of stuff. But good thing California has taken this. Excellent. Another great thing, interesting thing that's happened this week. You're all familiar with the Philadelphia bashing case. Yes. Oh, of course. Yes. A, a, a gay couple are walking in Center City. You know, it's the weekend. People are drinking, having fun. And a large group of folks came upon them. And next thing you know, punches, words. And these two men were really, really beaten up badly. There has been an arrest thanks to a great cameras and a twitter campaign to find out who these people were two men and a female now the crux the, the thing is is that the female is the one who's getting the most bad press and, but she's the
2: police chief's daughter and she's a she? police chief's
1: daughter she's a local police chief's daughter she is um she doesn't have a good filter on her twitter activity she yeah, she's tends a little to, bit
2: arrogant that she's
1: one. And, i mean she said some you know and you and, 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 and i'm reading some of the reactions i said this is hate speech and so forth i mean it's obnoxious speech i mean mm-hmm. she said some not nice things about a variety of people her also her job is a an emergency room tech she would take pictures of like you know, severed fingers and, oh, and tweet them. I mean, so she doesn't know how to be. A, she's right. not a very good grown up, but she's also, you know, if she participated in hitting these people, she right. should definitely be incarcerated. But Neil Braverman wrote an op-ed piece in The Advocate, which you can see at advocate.com, about saying, why were we so big on making the woman being the being the number one right. you know, enemy here? And his, he was posing the idea that because we don't think of women as being gay bashers and we we're so shocked and we are so appalled that, you know, women are already, you know, have it tough in this world. Why would you be being tough on the gays?
2: Well, I wonder, too, if it's, a, if it's a graphic thing. Because when you see their photo, it's always she's in the middle because she's the woman. And the two guys are pretty much alike. And they're just flanking her off to the side. So maybe... Your eye goes right to the middle and goes, oh, well, it's her fault. Well, and she's the one.
1: Well, that's the thing. I mean, when you, we, I mean, the power of media, how you place that photo, how right. they look, what you put out there. I mean, it's tough. So we're going to keep an eye on this story, and we need to watch out. Uh, the last bad thing I want to say is that George Clooney has married gents. Oh, he is no, no longer available.
2: <laughs> so um, we're all bemoaning the loss of our opportunity to become... Mr. Clooney.
1: Yes, and and you know, I have to say he's one of my hetero crushes. He's one of my straight crushes. Clooney and I, I thought we could make some beautiful, you know, meringue
6: together. Well,
2: and I wish that we had all been invited to the wedding because we would get to use gay good manners. <gasps> which brings us to part two of Steve Pride's talk with Stephen Mr. Manners Petrow. <laughs> Someone
3: once said that the test of good manners is to be patient with the bad ones. Good advice. But first, we've got to understand the difference.
5: I'm Stephen Petro, the author of Stephen Petro's Complete Gay and Lesbian Manners, The Definitive Guide to LGBT Life.
3: Stephen, what are the top five questions that you get most often?
5: The five big questions. Let's start with number one, which is... What do I call the partner, boyfriend, lover, honey, husband of my gay friend? And this is straight folks and gay folks. And if you're a committed couple and you're straight, you're usually married and it's easy. Husband and wife and the fact that you have legal marriage in 50 states makes that, you know, really simple. So and if you're a committed couple and you're gay, though, there is no foundation to start with. So then you have couples choosing the terminology that they want, which is perfectly fine, but it's just perfectly confusing for everyone. So it's really important to listen to how a couple refers to each other. And when my partner and I moved from San Francisco to Chapel Hill, those nice folks that I was talking about earlier, they knew we were together, but they didn't know how to refer to us. And so they would say to me, how is, and then there would be this kind of stammer stumbled, what is the word? How is your roommate, it started with. And uh, and then how is your friend? But they heard me use partner, and they picked up on it. And then we have some lesbian friends who live down the street who had gotten married in Massachusetts, and they refer to each other as wife and wife, and everyone in our community, you know, refers to them that way. So there is no one-size-fits-all, but it's really important to listen. And this is also a really good example of, If you're confused, it's fine to ask. How would you like me to introduce the two of you? And then we can say it. Now, a lot of gay couples haven't figured it out. And sometimes with their gay friends, they want to use one term. She's my lover. But in a professional environment, she's my partner. And again, so this is evolving. We'll probably have more standardization as time goes on. But for now, again, be respectful, listen, ask, and you'll be all right. Number two has to deal with, is it okay to ask someone if they're gay? And again, this is asked by well-meaning straight people who wanna help, who wanna help someone come out. I remember I was in Phoenix and this woman asked the question and she said, he's my best friend, I've known him for 15 years and he just won't admit that he's gay. And I said, well, 15 years and he's your best friend, There's got to be some reason that he's not saying something. Either you're wrong, he's not gay, or he's not comfortable with you. And maybe you didn't notice, but you said admit that he's gay. And admit is kind of a harsh word. You admit that you did a crime. You don't admit to a sexual orientation. You acknowledge it. So I wonder if you're also not sending some vibes off that he's picking up on, that maybe you're not as gay groovy as you think. So in general, don't ask. Allow the person to come out when he or she is ready to. Number three on the list has to deal with transgender people and the confusion there around pronouns and gender identity. And, again, straight and gay, and even in the gay community, too, there's a lot of tripping up about pronouns. And what hormones is he or she taking or what surgery is involved? And, you know, that's nobody's business, and it has nothing to do with the answer to this. It's how you present. Now, that's easy to say, and that's sometimes, though, hard to to do. And and that's true for most of us. You know, we haven't had a lot of encounters with trans people. And so it takes a little bit of time to sort of reconfigure. And again, I think someone who's trans in that situation needs to continue to help us sort of come on board and um, and just be clear about what the right thing to do is. And again, the right thing here is it's the respectful thing. It's about honoring the way that someone is presenting. That seems to be confusing because there are just more and more situations like this, and you know the difference between sexual orientation and gender identity is still kind of coming into the mainstream. Sexual orientation being gay, straight, and other, lesbian, bi, and gender identity being more about masculine, feminine, male, female, and they really are different things. And um, but as I'm saying all that, I'm sort of going off the manners map and into, um, you know, into other things. And number four is around sex etiquette and specifically around talking about um, STDs and HIV. And um, this is one that's more within the gay male community. I think one of the ways that this book pushes to new ground is that there's a whole chapter here on sex etiquette. and. Going back to what manners is, it's about our interactions, our social relations. And obviously, meeting up, hooking up, that's about interaction, social relations. So it's very purposeful in including that in this book. And the subtitle is In the Bedroom and in the Back Room because sex happens in all kinds of places. So, in terms of talking about HIV and STDs, it can be an uncomfortable topic for some and for many because. We're not that um, well-versed in it sometimes. And it seems not romantic. It It seems this. It seems that. But I think it's important to remember that particularly the gay male community established the gold standard in sex etiquette back in the 80s by developing the principles for safer sex. And that really is a code of manners, using protection for yourself, protecting your partner getting tested, knowing your HIV status. So the question within all of this is, when do I talk about it with someone new, and how do I talk about it? And the answer is, before you have sex. And so if you're going to have sex within 16 minutes of meeting each other, you need to find a way to get some basic information across to each other so that you can Have the kind of safe sex that you need to have for your statuses. And if it's not for three months that you're going to go to bed, then you can take your time. But you need to have that. You don't need to make it a public health lecture. It can be humorous. But talking about it before you have sex, I think, is the wisest thing. If you're in a sex club where there are no words, everyone should assume that there's plenty of STDs around and protect themselves accordingly.
3: If you've just tuned in, I'm Steve Pride, and we're talking with Stephen
5: Petro, author of Stephen Petro's Complete Book of Gay and Lesbian Manners. Number five. It actually has to do with weddings. And it's really this question, are gay weddings different than straight weddings? And superficially, we can see many ways that they are. You have two brides. You have two grooms. You have the cake toppers that are same sex. And then there's best man, maid of honor, and all of that's mixed up because so many of our friends don't fall into the traditional roles. And my best friend may be a man, he may be a woman. They're called honor attendants. It's kind of the collective term, the umbrella term. And, um, and while some in our community really want to mime traditional straight weddings... There are many who are using the creativity and inventiveness that we have to add a different dimension, to to bring music in, to kind of make it personal. So again, there can be a lot of superficial differences, but when you really get down to what a wedding is, whether it's straight or whether it's gay, it's about two people making a commitment. It's about two people loving each other. And that's the heart of what happens in these ceremonies. And that way, these ceremonies are, are very much the same. But there is a lot of confusion, and I'm going to start on the straight side of this. Mothers and fathers of their gay kids, they've usually kind of gotten to a place of total acceptance. And then now there is this sort of next stage of coming out, and it's a very public one, and they may be written up in the newspaper, and families may be drawn into it. So there's a little bit of sort of anxiety I'm seeing coming from them around that. And then about a lot of really tactical questions, should they be expected to pay for the wedding of their son or their daughter? And in a way, it's kind of funny because a lot of the people who are going to be getting married in this first wave have been waiting and waiting for years. So let's just put it this way. They're not so young. And, you know, the idea of someone who's 35 or 50 or even older asking mom and dad to pay for their wedding seems a little bit off base. So primarily... uh, responsibility that that we'll be undertaking. And I think we're also learning there's a lot of sticker shock with the wedding. You know, the average cost is about $25,000. And so, you know, we've got this great new right. You know, now there's some real sticker shock that goes along with that, too. So that's kind of the overview. But then I hear from mothers, so there are going to be two mothers in law. How do we figure out what we wear? You know, and the answer there is, it used to be just the bride's day. Well, now it's the two brides' day, and you don't want to, you know, you don't want to compete with them. And um, you know, I've heard from dads: if I've got a son and he's marrying his boyfriend, am I supposed to dance with one of them? Everything's up for discussion, and if you're not comfortable doing that, that's fine. And if you are, you know, two snaps for you. Then there's all this pressure that's being put on gay couples now. Very well-meaning. It comes from our gay friends and from our straight friends. When are you guys, when are you girls getting married? And it's as though we fought hard for the right to marry, the freedom to marry, but not the requirement to marry. And there are all kinds of reasons why particular couples will choose not to marry. Some of them financial, some of them have to do with the tax code. Some of them have to do with their own notions of what marriage is and that it's a heterosexual institution that they don't want to partake of themselves, even though We believe everyone should have that choice. But there's a lot of pressure on couples right now about that. Is there a common thread in your book that can guide us through all situations? The premise for most manners books is make people comfortable. And that seems like a good enough premise, except when you get into difficult situations like someone heckling you, someone saying something anti-gay, where you need to speak up. And sometimes you need to make someone uncomfortable to do the right thing. So the underlying premise here is about respect and about civility. So if you respect yourself, if you respect your community and the larger community, that's point number one. And then also respecting those who are different from us and vice versa. This has been part two of a two-part conversation
3: with Stephen Petrow. Author of Stephen Petro's complete book of gay and lesbian manners. Find more information online at gaymanners.com. This is Steve Pride. Thanks for listening.
1: Why is it that Classical music means that you're better mannered
2: than, like, country music. I don't know. That makes no sense to me either. That I'd actually keep...
3: wasn't classical music. That was a theme from Friends.
1: Really? That yeah. was that... so
3: not.
2: My yeah, pinkies
1: was. are up. I hear, cla- I But I hear classical music. I feel smarter. It was played I in the smarter. classical style. I'm just. I know. Just, there's but something about
3: it.
2: It's being played ironically.
3: Mm. Mm. Moving along. After the break, I'll talk with the folks behind Born to
2: Fly, Elizabeth Streb, Versus gravity. And we'll be joined live in studio by Eddie Shapiro with the producer of the upcoming Gay Days at Disneyland.
1: I lost my place. I, I don't know if no, I... you can tell us what oh, time I, it is. You know what time it is.
0: It's time for Who Said That? on this episode of the Rainbow Minute. One of the greatest military leaders of all time, this man became the conqueror of a kingdom that extended from Greece to Persia, Egypt, and India. Born in 356 BC, he was tutored by Aristotle in philosophy and ethics, and became fluent in politics and warfare by his father, the King of Macedon. After inheriting the throne at age 20, he commanded his military from the front lines, often leading the cavalry with his lover and comrade-at-arms Hephaestion by his side. He never lost a single battle. He once said, there is nothing impossible to him who will try. Who said that? It was Alexander the Great, a role model for other homosexual and bisexual leaders that followed him, including Julius Caesar, Hadrian, and Frederick the Great. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, Dustin Richardson. Hello, my name is Cheyenne Jackson,
5: and you may know me from the movies, television, or Broadway. Listen to IMRU
2: Radio Magazine every Monday night from 7 to 8 p.m. on KPFK, 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 Santa Barbara, 93.7 San Diego, and 99.5 Ridgecrest, China Lake, or streaming online at kpfk.org.
3: back. You're listening to IMRU Radio. I'm Steve Pride.
1: I'm Chris-Ann Eastwood.
3: And I'm Wenzel Jones. You know, Friday, I had the honor of interviewing two just totally remarkable women. The documentary Born to Fly, Elizabeth Streb vs. Gravity examines the avant-garde choreographer's innovative style and spectacular displays of what she calls pop action from her acrobatic dancers. It's hard to describe what she does on radio. Some call it contact sport, carnival sideshow, or even high-risk daredevilry. But no
6: one ever calls it boring. Hi, I'm Katherine Gund. I'm the director of Born to Fly, Elizabeth Streb versus Gravity.
7: I'm Elizabeth Streb. My dance company is named Streb Extreme Action, based in Williamsburg, Brooklyn at SLAM, Streb Lab for Action Mechanics. What is extreme action? Extreme action is the invention of human moves intersected with hardware devices, action gizmos we sometimes call them, and to show extreme action to the public in a, such a way that it stops the heart, surprises the brain, scares the human into a place where it isn't confusing or unrecognizable. But it is something that, though they haven't done those moves, they feel that they have inhabited those places and spaces, even if it is emotional or psychological, before witnessing strip.
3: Your style is such a departure from traditional choreography.
7: I feel that just connecting movements one to the other does not equal an action event. It's sort of just one controllable moment connected to this, arbitrarily connected to this. Whereas our investigation at Strab is about extreme action, and it is a causal idea. It's not just causal theoretically. It's physically causal. Like, you can't do the second move without the first. You can't do the third move without the second, onward into infinity. But the initial move is the conundrum. Because what causes that. That has to be the only artificial thing. Where do you begin? And I think that in most stands, because they put it to music, that's one problem. It's not the organizing methodology for causality when you listen to notes and mimic the moves connected to the notes. But also the other problem is really the fact that physicality really is something that you can't control. It really is something that lies beyond the control of the human. So my philosophy includes being out of control. And I would say we would be associated with circus a lot because of the equipment that we use, even though I make it a point to not use specifically circus equipment. I stay
6: way away from that. You put it between dance and circus. And I think there's also an important element of extreme sports because that is something that's more accessible to more people. They don't feel like you have to pay, you have to sit in a theater, you have to come and watch the thing, you have to understand the linguistics of what's happening. It's something that a lot of people can participate in. Kids get a skateboard and they go down a hill really, really fast. And I think there's an element of Streb's work that allows all of us to identify with that interest in pushing our physical limits, and that you don't have to be a ballerina to do. Let's talk about the girl who became the woman. Tell me about your childhood. I'm not sentimental about my adoption, but it
7: gave me a lot of freedom. Well, I'm not like them. Few, thank heavens. No, they're very nice people. Well, they weren't really very nice people. My mother was an angel. I will say that. But I think that it gave me my experimentations that started really young and ended with odd things like holding the ceiling up, but also burning barns down and working with machinery, trying to make a go-kart and that sort of thing, playing with fire, playing literally and otherwise. And I think that things that people do start really early on in their lives and physicality was always my focus and crazy, wild, really dangerous things also, like how far can you push yourself, people's patience with you, your own relationship with your body as time goes on and what you're willing to let happen to it. Did your sexuality impact your art? I never was aware of that. You know, the only thing I was aware of when I would go to Sunday church, being more attracted to the women than the men at 10, 11, 12. And I thought, well, oh, I don't know if that's normal. I mean, I was concerned with what is normal and what is not. And I don't think that my parents, they never knew. They were pretty much dead. But by the time I i was gay or I came out, they died when I was young. Well, they were 40 when they adopted us, so they didn't live beyond 60 or 70. I'm not a great gay person because I'm, <laughs> I was so singularly focused. The lens over my gayness really, I can suspect different things, but I didn't have a, a plan in any way that I recognized.
6: But I just think that the definition of trying to live up to some kind of model of what is dance and am I going to fit in that world or what is this family – do I fit in that family? What is queer? Everybody says, I'm gay, I'm a lesbian, whatever. You identify, you know that you like women, and the definition of that is to be a lesbian and then to feel like a failed lesbian. I just think we need to explode the definitions and the notions and these labels and these narrow, narrow boxes, and that's what her very best piece ever, one of her earliest pieces, is about. That's called Little Ease. It's a box that's exactly her size and a little higher and a little wider, and what can she do in the world where she exists, how many different things, what are all the options, exhaust the infinite ability to explore the space in which you exist and survive. So I would remove that notion from your vocabulary okay. about being a bad gay person. I mean, I don't. I just think that the queerness of the company, the queerness, my own queerness, I mean, I'm a terrible gay person by your standards. No, I have I'm, no judgment. I'm not even, but I think that there are these ways of sort of having this perspective, being on the outside of the outside, right? So you come out, you find out, like, I'm not like the mainstream. I'm not this heteronormative thing. We all have that experience, right? And you go, oh, look at that. That's not me. I'm something on the outside. And then you know what their lives are like and you know what I. So we already know more than the people who live in the specific center of societal demonstration, whatever. And then to be even queerer than that and to come out of the outside of that and just say, yeah, but I'm not that, I'm not this. You really have to create your own space. And I feel like not only do you do that in personal life, but also that's what this work is all about. And hopefully the film just takes for granted. It doesn't say, this is a lesbian film. I'm going to go make a movie about lesbians, and I'm going to go to the house, and I'm going to show two lesbians hugging. But I'm going to make a movie about this person, and this is the world. And the more specific I can be, and the more matter-of-fact, oh, look, it just so happens. Some people are two women, and that just happens. It's not better, it's not worse, but it is real. And that's, I think, the difference, is to try to focus on that detail and the truth of it.
3: The 2012 Olympic Games in London
7: took you to a whole new level. Tell us about that. Shreb was planning to pepper the sky in London with seven events along the Thames on some of the iconic structures in London, like the Millennium Bridge, City Hall, Trafalgar Square, the London Eye. And this happened, you know, on one day. It wasn't advertised. It was legally not allowed to be. People happened upon it. As the day went on, masses grew. And by the time we got to Trafalgar Square, there were 10,000 people and more And the London Eye. We got on the spokes of the London Eye. And that ends um, Catherine Gunn's film. It's really an interesting juncture for Streb, that now my vision is on those rooftops, really in the skyscrapers, but on top of tower cranes. And I want to now go to the world with these actions and how we design them, intersect them into people's everyday lives. So you're not going to charge a million people for a, you know, necessarily for a ticket. So that's a, a moment of confusion, a little bit, a little impracticality, you know, what this has afforded us. And also, in a year, we'll be at the Barclay Center, the stadium. It'll be an arena show. And that'll mean that we have to get four or 5,000 people a show, a show there for three shows. And so my, I'm really, I've decided just to take this year and focus on that and make the best show I can make for 5,000 people and see if that's a possibility. I, I think it will be. You know, I think that the scale has really proven itself to be possible. So we'll see. But your work is about more than spectacle or even a dance company, right? Anyone who's listening today, every day, is invited to come to SLAM. It's called Streb Lab for Action Mechanics. It's in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Just go on streb.org. You know, there's 500 kids a week that come by there in 58 classes. There's a flying trapeze academy. There's a rental program. There's streb rehearsing. And anyone and everyone are invited. Just come by watch us rehearse, see what's going on there, use the bathrooms. A question
3: for both documentarian and her subject. What do you want the audience to take away from the
6: film? That art can have a really profound effect on everyone, that there is this element of the sublime that can exist right in parallel to other most fundamental basic needs that people experience, and that having some time when you get to see or feel the things that this kind of work can bring to someone, that that can change their lives. The story is in the film. I am so moved and inspired
7: and kind of retrograde. If I went back and made all of my decisions in reverse, this is a representation of what I hoped it would be. And that's what's so inspiring for me. It's so complete. My job is to keep your attention like a perfect great page-turner novel. So I want you never to look away from that stage because you're just not going to believe the next second. You're just not going to believe it.
3: This has been a conversation with documentarian Catherine Gund and Elizabeth Streb, the subject of her film Born to Fly, Elizabeth Streb versus Gravity. Find more information online at borntoflymovie.com. This is Steve Pride. Thanks for listening. You can fly, you can fly. In Los Angeles, Born to Fly is playing right now at the Limbley New Hill 7, just down the road from KPFK. To find out where it's playing near you, visit BornToFlyMovie.com. And you know, that song has really gotten me thinking about Disney. I know, very smooth, we Mr. Both Pride. We worked at Disney, Wizzle Jones, We the same did. Time. We
2: worked at Disney World in faraway Florida. But here we have Gay Days at Disneyland, and sitting in studio with us is the producer of that very event, Mr. Eddie Shapiro, so I welcome to IMRU.
8: <gasps> uh, thank you so much. It's fantastic to be here because, you know, I produce Gators essentially out of my home, so I haven't left the house in like a month, so it's fantastic to get out.
2: Well, and we have <laughs> air conditioning and water, so there's that too. Now, for people who have not been to Gay Days at Disneyland, could you just put that in a nutshell? Sure. Um, It's 30,000 people who descend on the parks over
8: a three-day weekend, and they're all wearing red shirts. So it becomes very, very easy to spot the, the – what we say, spot the red. Um, and it's, it's really interesting. You know, when you go to Disneyland any other time of the year, you walk around, and people tend to stick with the traveling party they came with. You know, you stick with your family or your friends or whatever. But on Gay Days, it's sort of – Everybody's paying attention to everybody, and it feels like a very big community event, big party. Um, It's a whole different feel. And the cast members who work there say they they put in to work on Gay Days because it's so much fun.
2: But now this is not an official Disney event, so you're in the park with regular park goers, right? Yes, absolutely. So now do you count on the children being particularly sophisticated, or does everybody— are they on their best behavior? Or I mean, how does mixing which children do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> Not the ones in the red shirts, the short ones. Uh, other children, you mean people who who like third like, graders and stuff. Uh,
8: why would I need to count on them to be on their best behavior? They're on the behavior that they're on any other day of the year. They're so, but you're saying everybody like... gets long... Oh yeah, there are no. I I mean, very occasionally there will be um, a, a parent who is somewhat disgruntled, um, but much like. Um, Look, I'm Jewish, and when I go to Atlanta, I don't start talking about Moses because I know my audience. <laughs> if you're a straight family around a bunch of people in red, you're not going to start just, you know, you will be beaten to a pulp. <laughs> we are the majority <laughs> well, now, on that it, day.
3: I, I'm going to think that there are got to be people who just, who just happened to wear red that day. From like the yes, we call,
8: we call those the accidental reds. And um, and two things happen with the accidental reds. Some of them love the attention and really enjoy it. And by the way, there are plenty of straight people who come and wear red just to show their support. But some people make a beeline for the Emporium and buy a, a new shirt because uh, they don't want to identify as part of this particular tribe.
2: Now, you have so many great names participating in it this year. You've got Carol Channing talking to... Giving a talk, you've got Coco Peru, who we adore. You've got Cheyenne Jackson, who sat in the very chair where you're sitting. And there's a big get. You've got Michael Urie actually doing his show Buyer and Seller there. That's right. How do you get these people to come well, for what's first, essentially a one-off? Just,
8: I have to co- correct uh, uh, something that you just said so that your listeners don't go batshit at you. Carol Channing came a couple of years ago. She's not coming this oh, year. Oh, she's not coming this um, year because so you know, she was on the list. No, she's not on th- – I don't know what you were looking at, but she is I not on this year's I guess a very old agenda. list. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but Michael Yuri is doing Byron Seller, um, Cheyenne Jackson in Coco Peru, Courtney mm-hmm. Act from RuPaul's Drag Race will be there, um, uh, Dot Jones from Glee. Um, so it, it's – it's it's yeah, we, we get uh, – Jay Rodriguez is coming, Frank Takara. Um, uh, is coming so we do uh, always um, attract a, a good number of celebrities and this year we also have Michael in addition to doing his performance of Byron Seller he's doing a conversation with me um, a Q&A a free Q&A with me about my book um, which is uh, called Nothing Like a Dame Conversations with the Great Women of Musical Theater so we'll be talking about Broadway Divas and then um, Disney legend Bob Gurr he's he's one of the you know official Disney legends he created the monorail and he created the Haunted Mansion Doob Muggies he's doing oh. a free Q&A as well um That's part of uh, D23, the official Disney fan club. So we have, you know. A lot of free events there, are the dance parties, we do two dance parties, and we have, as you mentioned, and Seller and Coco Peru doing her show and the pool party. Those are all things that you can buy tickets for. But then we do all these free events, like these Q&As that I'm mentioning, and in the parks we have things like a lesbian ice cream social and a bear's ride on Splash Mountain and a teen meetup at the Starbucks for Frappuccinos and a huge group photo in front of Sleeping Beauty Castle and a scavenger hunt and just stuff all over the park to make the whole resort unlike any other day of the year.
2: And now speaking of books you've written, you've also written the book on this very subject, Queens in the Kingdom. Yes. Now when did that come out?
8: Queens in the Kingdom had its first edition, oh my god I'm old, in 2003 and then it had a second edition in 2007, but so much has changed in the park.
2: But it's the Gay Guide to the Park, right?
8: It's the Gay and Lesbian Guide to the Disney-themed parks, so it also covers um, Orlando um, and the Cruise Line, but uh, so much has changed since 2007 that it is really overdue for a rewrite, so, you know, I'm slipping been behind I, I, I gotta get on it
2: well what's the best secret in the book
8: it's not so much about secrets, oh. although we do, you know. It, it's it's a it's a gay and lesbian perspective. So you know, will the when you look at say the the men wearing the leader hose in it, at the Matterhorn, we react to that differently, for example, than <laughs> the mom and pa cattle from Sheboygan. Um, but uh, it's also filled with fairy facts um, after each attraction. So we talk about little known things that that people don't necessarily know in 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 the parks, and we call those the fairy facts. So the book is peppered with them, and I'm not giving them away. I still have copies to sell. <laughs>
2: (laughs) Fair enough. Okay, now this actually has no relation with the Gay Days in Orlando Disney World. Well, then don't ask me. Oh, you mean this event? No, 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 yours. (laughs) I mean, they're they're separate events. Yes, Yes,
8: they're completely separate, although Gay Days at Disneyland is actually inspired by Gay Days at Disney World. Um, Mm. It started when uh, Jeffrey Epstein and I, and Jeffrey Epstein is the co-author of Queens in the Kingdom, he and I went to Gay Days at Disney World together just as friends. We are just friends. And um, we experienced it and had a great time there and saw the people wearing the red shirts, but we found that it was very curious. There were a lot of people there who were there for the party but never set foot in the parks. They would go out to all the nighttime parties and the dance parties and the pool parties, but they didn't care about Disney. The fact that they were in Orlando was almost incidental. They would have gone wherever the party was happening. So we thought, okay, this is great. Let's bring some of this to California. But we really wanted to make this event about Disneyland and about the fact that we were there. So everything that we do except for the pool party happens on Disney property and a lot of it in the parks. Um, So first and foremost, we are catering to a Disney-loving crowd.
2: How did you arrange for this to happen at Disneyland since it's not a Disneyland-sponsored event? We showed up. And And that's really all it took?
8: Well, that's all it took at the beginning. And then as we started to grow, you know, 30,000 people spent a lot of money. So now They respond
2: well to that, don't they? Yes,
8: they certainly do. And now it's it's amazing. And I don't mean—they're a business. Of course, they should. Um, But it's amazing the ways in which they participate. Like, for example, um, only during Gay Days weekend can you find in the parks rainbow Mickey cookies and rainbow cake, where each layer of the cake is a different color of the rainbow. They make that just for Gay Days. Wow. Um, Or— um, they're also We have a, a welcome center
1: They're $100 though right Another,
8: You know the cake is five ninety <laughs> five, And it was delicious last year I have to say I'm sure that some of those, those layers Some of those dyes Are still in my body But it was delicious mm-hmm. But um, the, we have a welcome center uh, In the Grand Californian Hotel and, and we have vendors in there And this year Fairy Tale Weddings Which is Disney's wedding planning They have a table in there wow. um, Walt Disney Records Has taken a sponsorship this year D23 I already mentioned Is a part of it We're screening ABC Pilots um, in our screening room um, for free. So there are many arms of the Walt Disney Company that have gotten involved in in Gay Days, even though it is not a Disney official event.
2: And these Gay Day events, are, they're open to everybody, aren't they're they? They're open to
8: everyone. As I mentioned, there are a lot of straight people who come. And I get lovely, lovely letters from straight people, um, emails who write to say, hey, you know, I really want to come and support. Is that okay? And Is it okay if I wear red? Of course it is. We don't dislike straight people. The whole point of doing it in the park when it's open for everybody is to be there with everybody not to be exclusionary not to be separate not to be because you know once upon a time there were these gay nights at Disney that, that predates us and I that think was, I
2: went to one of those a long yeah, time ago they were ago. put on
8: by a, a private tour company and you know Jeffrey and I went to that as well as friends and um, Mercy, the, you're, you're saying right. that a lot uh, and it isn't a case of he who does protest too much or anything like that but um, we went and you know the, the restaurants are closed the, the there were no parades no fireworks no characters and it sort of felt like you know after our good guests go home you get people can come in Mm -hmm. here and we didn't like feeling Mm -hmm. like we were sort of you know sitting at the back of the bus Um, so we wanted to do an event where we were bringing our family of choice to this big family destination and now speaking of families this year one of the things that we've added we've uh, teamed with the Family Equality Council Um, so they're doing family events all weekend long Um, and we also have a a partnership with the Point Foundation our Friday night event Wonderland which takes place at Brennan's Jazz Kitchen in downtown Disney 100% of the proceeds from that go to the Point Foundation which as you all all know sends gay and lesbian Excellent. scholars to through college, um, so um, elements like that. I mean, the event is so big that we, we have the ability to sort of do that kind of stuff and by the way as I'm babbling on about it there's all this information you can hear what I'm saying and more at GayDaysAnaheim.com um, so there's a full website with a full schedule of events there's a Facebook page Gay Days Anaheim there's a Twitter feed Gay Days Anaheim you can keep up with all of it.
2: And there's a huge charitable aspect in addition to the one that you just mentioned I mean what other are, what are aspects
8: well yeah so as a, so the Point Foundation um, that, that, that whole party going to mm. them is a big one and the Family Equality Council stuff the fact that they um, are, have been um, really streamlined throughout the – not streamlined. That is the wrong word. They are uh, present um, mm-hmm. throughout the, the entirety of the weekend and really get to build their community that way. Um, it was really hopeful and helpful to them.
2: Well, thank um, you so much for all the work you're doing for, for bringing Gay Days to Disneyland Anaheim and just for coming to talk to us tonight. So, I'm
8: delighted.
2: So, again, it's GayDaysAnaheim.com. In Anaheim for you slow ones, A-A-N-A-H-E-I-M, A-A- <laughs> that whole EI thing. So Low I ones. should mention. I was going to have yeah. to look it up later. I know. Well, I always have to spill it both ways and then hold it. Back. I should
8: mention that on our site, there are discounted park tickets, but they are only on sale through Thursday, and mm. then Disney takes them off sale. So there's a rush to get those. But we have VIP packages available. The buyer and seller thing is a he- that play. Yeah. Fantastic. Awesome. Awesome and show. Uh, we're really excited that that's so coming. Hurry,
2: so hurry, hurry, hurry. Go check it out. It's an amazing website. And thank you for coming.
8: Thank you for having me.
3: I'm so nostalgic now. I may go to this. You should. Well, that's the end of our ride. No. Gather your personal courage, take 10 politicos by the hand, and exit to the far left of the trams. Forward motion.
1: Our thanks tonight to our director, Michelle Marie Gilkison, assistant director and social media maven, Miss Barbecue, coordinating producer, Steve Pride, and our Rainbow Minute producers, Judd Proctor and Brian Burns.
2: And our board op, Jose Benavides.
1: Comments or story suggestions to IMRU Radio on Twitter or Facebook. You can also email us, imruradio at imruradio.org.
2: IMRU is simulcast and available on demand at kpfk.org. It's also posted to the IMRU Facebook radio radio Facebook page by noon every Tuesday. And while you're on our Facebook page, give us a like, please. Coming like up,
1: coming like up next. And you're going to like the next show, Flip the Script, with Riku Matsuda.
2: And I see
3: her in the next room. She's actually here and Yay. not on tonight. Yes, he is. Oh, All right. Well, not yes. Not yes. No. Something great is coming up next. I tell you that. <laughs> well... That is the end of a ride. So we're going to close with a Disney song that never was but really should have been from our friend Filey Mateus and his off-Broadway musical Disenchanted. Here's the lovely Mulan. Good night.
9: Lesbian. I might be lesbian. I cut my bangs like Katie Lynx. Now I'm a flannel shirt shy of being lesbian. Lesbian. And I'd be telling a lie if I hadn't thought that maybe that's why I'm the only princess here. only one way for a princess to get by. Be super cute, eat poison fruitful comatose, till some man on a white horse happens to have Just up and passed us by But that doesn't mean we don't have dreams of damsels in distress It simply means those screaming girls get saved by someone in a dress I confess that I just might be a lesbian I mean I watch ESPN I wear flats, have lots of cats, now it can't be so wrong If this is me thespian, Wendy degeneracy Cause to tell you the truth, those fables are so long in the tooth And whether a princess decides if she's gonna be the groom or the bride I'm sure that fairy tales would be fine With some Gertrude Stein I might be lesbian. And what's wrong with lesbian? I can rule kingdom till reclaim- I in their hair, so beautiful and dutiful, done that, been there.